The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Good morning again, Voice America listeners, and what a wonderful day we have today. Welcome to Strategies and Solutions with Dr. Sean taking on the challenge. Yesterday was such a rough day that it was so nice to see the sun come out this morning and know that there was a new fresh day to start. I hope that in the last week you were able to remember to see your successes as you work through them, what I'm sure was many challenges. Last week's show, I think, went pretty well. I had many phone calls and emails expressing good wishes and enjoyment in the show. The show's main focus is to remind people that they can be successful in even the toughest situations. Much of what we talked about last week brought up different issues for different people. It was interesting, some living with disabilities and some not. It was nice to hear that the show had touched a lot of people and that many of you told me you were excited to hear the next one. Well, that's today, and I'm so happy to be back. Last week, we began to touch a bit on history of disabilities, and we did not go as far as I wanted to, and will continue today. Very excited, because today we have our first guest on the show. Uh, Mark Woodsmall, local special education attorney, will be joining us, and he and his wife will be joining us in the third segment, Ever Woodsmall. Both of them are advocates for individuals with disabilities and happen to have a child themselves with a with autism. So, you know, m- mostly I'm focusing on how special ed laws and rights of people with disabilities have been protected, and that's what the show is about today. You know, I actually titled the show Respecting and Protecting the Rights of Individuals with Disabilities. Protection under the law is often thought about, but my first focus on people living in challenges is to respect them for who they are and what they are trying to do in this world. There's many articles and books that have been written about disabilities, often from the perspective of the author, from his knowledge base, from his research, from his education on disabilities. On this show, I want to get, get it straight from the horse's mouth. I want us talking with people that have lived through challenges and wish to share them with us, but also those in the midst of problems and needing help. Remember last week I said our challenges are part of our survival and something to be proud of and not ashamed. It's so hard to deal with some of the issues that we have to deal with. Parents have to work constantly to reestablish their understanding of of child rearing. It's 
very different from being a typical parent or a teacher of, of typical kids. You constantly have to reestablish your understanding of your student population of your kid. Years ago, I wrote an article about a wonderful experience I had with a group of 30 moms for over two years. We worked together for a two-year period. Every week, we would meet to discuss the joys and the challenges in our lives. We would laugh and, oh, we would cry. Crying for each other's angst and worry, not feeling sorry for each other. You know, often is the case that People want to feel sorry for people with disabilities, want to feel sorry for parents or teachers having to quote-unquote deal with people with disabilities. And it's an absolute joy. These are wonderful people just like the rest of the world. And it's, the more you understand and, and work alongside of people with disabilities and individuals dealing with challenges, you realize they're just people. They're just wanting a good life just like everybody else. So as the group went on, what we realized, because there were parents that were par parents that were brand new to a diagnosis maybe of autism, there were parents that were, or moms that were from middle school kids, so they had been living with the information for quite a while, and then there were moms that had, their kids were in their 20s and 30s, and really had a good understanding of a long-term uh, uh, effective of, of the life of an individual with disabilities, but also what it was like to raise kids with challenges for a long period of time. See, what their lives entailed was constantly attempting to figure stuff out. When one behavior or issue was resolved, before they knew it, another significant issue was coming their way, and they were going to have to figure it out also. See, with a typical parent rearing their child, the rearing job you get, you get, get an issue with your kid, you figure out what the issue is, you give them some help to resolve it, and the next time the issue comes up, you know, probably the kid will still need some help, but less and less each time. With moms and parents of kids with autism, developmental disabilities, and other exceptionalities, the figuring stuff out goes on and on and on. It kind of never stops. So parents feel that they have failed in resolving issues when they actually have become expert problem solvers. See, when you're upset, we tend to admire our problems, and we actually call it problem admiration. Oh, we can describe our problems in 20 different ways, but seeing the solution and gaining a strategy to work through the issue can elude us greatly. We also need some attention from others when we're in need of problem solving, and that can be where on those around that can really wear on those around us. So we may feel bad about that also. And so you start feeling bad about feeling bad. You know, and when you start feeling you have a problem already, you have an issue. And then when you start feeling bad about your issue, then you have two issues. You have two problems. It wouldn't be nice just to have the one thing to problem solve around. There's so often a embarrassment factor that kicks in, a I'm not doing good enough factor, I'm not the good enough parent. Actually, Bruno Bettelheim, who is kind of famous in this field, uh, wrote a book called The Good Enough Parent. And it's an excellent book to read because it really does 
tell you that every parent is going through challenges and struggles, and every parent is trying to figure it out as they go along. And yes, with a disability or mental illness, it may be more of a challenge, but you are doing the best job that you can do and must be proud of it. I have spoken and worked alongside of thousands of parents. When they realize that they are, are excellent at adjusting, but they're just worn down, they feel more assured about themselves. Now, let me say that again. When they realize that they're excellent at adjusting, see, they feel that they're so bad at everything and that they can't accomplish anything, but really they're very good at stuff. And what they're really good at is constantly figuring stuff out and adjusting them, their lives. Last week, I spoke about universalism. Again, this is a therapeutic tool where we use, that we use in counseling to remind us that we're not alone and that we're having an issue that other people have had. Many millenniums of persons have come before us. I said this last week. Many millenniums of persons have come before us, all dealing with challenges. We need to take their experiences and learn from them to better assist our own concerns and worries. See, the opposite of worry is planning. And worry can become something that's really part of your life. Uh, I'm Jewish. Part of being Jewish is a history of our culture worrying about things. There's this, this odd belief that if you worry about something, it will go right. But if you don't worry about it, oh, it will go wrong for sure. And the problem with that kind of thinking, even though it's so ingrained in myself and my culture, is that most things go right. Most things go the way that they're supposed to. So if we worry about it and it goes right, well, then we've reinforced the worry. Because you think, oh, because I worried, things worked out. Well, it's not because you worried. It's because of the things you did. Again, the opposite of worry is planning. So if we can put plans into place to assist people and to assist them long-term, not just with the resolution of a single issue, but teaching a metacognitive skill, a skill of teaching the person to break apart problems in their head, break apart the challenges into what works and what is not working and focus on the area that needs support while celebrating the success. In other words, focus on the part that works because you can repeat it. The idea in our statistical world of reliability is that when things are repeated the same, you should have the same outcome. So if we give people good tools, we should then be able to see them use those tools again in the future. So now last week, I, I, I realized I, I really didn't say too much about my organization, Total Programs. So I want to say a little bit. And, and we'll add more and more as time goes on, and you'll know more and more about my organization. Uh, well, I, it started in 2002, but I had been in practice since 1997 in private practice and I, one month I was actually teaching a class at Cal State Northridge and I got a call asking me if I could assist a 16 year old girl that was having major challenges at home. Now I told you last week that I had worked for LA County Office of Education for many years and had worked with the disabled population for many years so I kind of was known 
throughout the area to be a problem solver and to be somebody that might be able to put a program into place to help somebody in a severe kind of situation. They needed ongoing guidance and they needed overnight support. At that point, it was only me working in the organization. So I asked a friend, Eddie, who was a paraeducator that I had worked with for years, if he'd be interested in helping out. And he was. And for the next month, excuse me, for the next three months, we worked pretty intensively with the family and created what today is our behavioral intervention in-home program. We, we then realized that what we needed to do was to get the skills that we were teaching her at home out into the community. It's really important to me that all programs that we put out are not just productive and progressive, but have the ability to, sorry, do have the ability to teach the person how to not only exist in the place where those skills were taught, but also to use those things in the community. Now, this ghetto is pretty tough. We'll call her Amy. So when Amy was upset, she'd make herself vomit. See, now that's one of those things that's a double-edged sword. See, people want to interact with her, but when she does that and vomits, it pushes people away and grosses them out. And a big, big part of what we're trying to do is bring people closer together. Uh, my philosophy is based on Karen Horney. She was a student of Freud's. And she had a theory in an art, a book that she wrote. It was called Moving Towards People or Moving Against People. And then when moving towards people, you want to be with them, you want to interact with them, you want to share time. Moving against people means that there's something with that person that you don't want to interact with. And last week I talked about um, the ability to put a skill into place. We were talking about pivotal response training. Put a skill into place that's going to help that person overall. Well, of course, not a lot of interactions happened with her besides her mom and her dad, and they were getting pretty frustrated at this point. So we created our community integration program because we wanted her to be able to get out and about in the community and learn the skills that she needed. So when a kiddo does something out in the community that the community might think is kind of weird or kind of strange, the store owner already knows him and doesn't just chuck him out of the store. So it's the knowledge is everything. If people understand what's going on around them, they're much more likely to accept the person. Acceptance is the respect that I spoke about earlier in the show. To me, it's a matter of respecting the person's dignity. She may use vomiting to move people away from her as she was often anxious about what they would ask her to do. But once she was reassured and she knew what was happening, she would go on her outing. Amy was able to be more calm in entering into the community. And when she was calm entering in, people wanted to be around her. It was her right to have people excuse me, it was her right to have the help she needed and continually survive this big world with her needs at hand. At this point, I'd like to share for just a couple minutes how we got into this. You know, in 1910, people were still being called morons and feeble-minded, and it was just around that time period that the classifications changed. 
We changed them to intellectual levels of mild, moderate, severe, profound. But what was much more important was the support levels. A person with mild disability might need intermittent support, where a person with profound disability may need pervasive support. All things helping them. It really wasn't until after World War I that the Rehabilitation Act 504 came about. See, these guys came back from war, and they still had to work. So if they were missing an arm or a leg, and they say maybe they ran a, pr uh, a print press, well, if they could do that print press with one arm, you know, and they could just adjust the machine, then they could still do their job. And I told you last week about the Wyatt-Stickney Act. And the Wyatt-Stickney Act said, hey, it's not cool to just have disabled people just sitting around all day long. Yeah, they're fed and cleaned, but they don't have anything to do. It wasn't until 1975 that PL 94-142, which was the Education Act or the Public Law 94-142, the Education Act for the Handicapped, and this allowed people between the ages of 6 and 18 with disabilities to go to school. In 1986, it was extended to 3 to 21. In 1997, it went to birth to 21. 1997, that's 20 years ago. That's not that long ago. It's wasn't even until 2004 that the law was changed to make the school and parent more of an interactive, collaborative group. But what we're always worried about and what we're always concerned about in special education is what's called FAPE. That's a free and appropriate public education. It was brought about in 1982, and it's the idea that a child with a disability, free is everybody. But appropriate means individualized. So what we will be discussing for the rest of the, the show is how are, do these laws affect parents? What, what kind of support do they need? What kind of help do they need in order to best be successful? And we'll be back real soon with Mark Woodsmall to discuss some of the ideas that he goes through on a daily basis trying to help his clients. So I thank you, and we'll see you back here in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms, and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, time goes so fast, you know, we, uh, before I knew it, it was break time. So I'm very excited because we have now returned and we're talking to uh, local special education attorney, Mark Woodsmall. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Dr. Sean. Thanks for having very, me. Very nice to have you on the show. He's going to be sharing some of his experiences with us and what kind of drives his career. You know, I was talking about the laws and how... The laws just really came into effect in the last 20, 30 years. They haven't been around for a long time. And it's very challenging for a parent to be able to not only be a parent, but be able to navigate through this world of special ed laws. So, Mark, tell me, what what got you interested in special education law? Well, it's interesting. I was uh, listening in on the first uh segment of the show today, and I, uh, I was listening to your, uh, your timeline of your career. Um, I've been practicing just about 20 years now, so it looks like uh, both of us became professionals just about the same time. And the first... Oh, no, I'm years, old. I've been doing this oh. for ever and ever. But I do remember us crossing paths in the midst of my, about the middle of my career, and you had just started your practice, and... I was so impressed by you that I remember walking up to you and saying, I'm not against the kid. I'm there to help also. And I'm so happy to meet an attorney who's finally there to help kids too. I remember saying that to you 20 years ago. That's funny because it's, uh, I think I remember you making the comment and realizing that so much of this process gets, uh, gets put on its ear when the reality is, is everybody at that IEP team table is really supposed to be there for a child-centric outcome. Right. And, um, you know, whether, they, whether you're, a, you know, a seasoned a psychologist or a, you know, dedicated school teacher or a parent who, you know, really is, is really fighting for the, the life of that child. I mean, we're all trying to do the same thing. I think that the process itself really, it, it really wipes people out. And, and there, you know, we need to, we, we need to build capacity in, into our advocacy and we need to open up windows for collaboration. Um, I absolutely agree with you in regards to collaboration and that everybody at the table is an advocate. You know, I'm so tired of hearing, well, you're on that side of the table and we're on this side of the table. Well, you know what the perfect cure to that is? A round table. Because (laughs) then there's no sides. Well, I I think think if you you ask a, a parent, most parents would tell you that the perception that they have of the IEP process is that it's it's this really complicated um, uh, 
process that's laden in uh, pr- procedure, legal requirement, and they feel that they understand that they need, they know what they need in terms of help and services for their child, but the general perception for many parents is that the professionals who are charged with providing the program aren't always forthcoming with that information. And and I I think that it's probably as varied in experience as, as the professionals are varied one from the other. I think some are quite helpful and and um, we'll, we'll take the extra steps to help that family access the process and, and I think maybe some um, not so much. And so as a result, I, I think when the parents are carrying carrying the responsibility of making sure that their child has that appropriate program to really help them access late, you know, later life requirements, you know, the hopefully, you know, to, to graduate and, and to, you know, leave the school system with a, with a strong skill set and, you know, and, a and, uh, an, an intact emotional psyche and, you know, and, and the opportunity to find love and friendship and all of the things that I think families, uh, you know, who, you know, who love special children, you know, are, are working towards. You know, we want this I, child to be as ready as possible for the world. And I, I once had a. I once had a. Uh, yeah. Oh, so sorry. I once had a professor oh. that, in teaching us, he would go till about ten o'clock each night, and at the end of the night, he would say, "Now go out and be good citizens," and that right. is the basis of what we are trying to do. We want our kids to go out and be able to just be good citizens, be part of their community. You know, you had mentioned a, a term, IEP, and a lot of people may not understand what that is. A lot of people may live IEPs, but can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So you had referenced the standard a moment ago of a free, appropriate public education, and that is the, the essential legal requirement that guides a child's special education program. Now, a program that we're referring to is encapsulated within a document called an IEP or an Individualized Education Program. That program is meant to be a blueprint for the child's special education supports. So it's going to have a couple of different pieces to it. One is it's going to identify whether the child is eligible for special education and if so, under what category. And uh, it's going to capture the parent's concerns and, and also the child's strengths. And then it'll be an opportunity for the other team members to, you know, share their thoughts with respect to how the child's doing in school and um, what areas of emphasis are needed in their educational planning. Then the document moves into a a vital phase, and that is the goal writing. The goal writing and the goals of the IEP are intended to be one-year statements that measure the child's growth in all areas of identified disability. And it's really important for parents that they have goals written in each area of need because the document is meant to track progress in each area of identified need over a year's time. And how how often? These, yes. I'm sorry. How how often are parents able to collaborate in regards to developing those goals and objectives? What's a parent's role? Sure. So the, the parent, and we have a. Uh, a range of uh, of court authority on this in terms of the parent's role is to be uh, meaningful and engaged, and the parents are entitled to provide what's called informed consent, and that is is that when they're asked to sign an IEP document for their child, it's anticipated that they have been provided with all of the information they need to understand what they're agreeing to, and also to play a role in its implementation. 
Parent communication is also a huge part of those goals, and it's a huge part of the manner in which the services are provided because it's it's not sufficient to demonstrate progress only within the school setting. True, truly successful IEP documents uh, result in this concept called generalization of acquired skills across settings, and that is, is mm-hmm. that the child can demonstrate the skill both at school and at home. And so parents are an absolute... Uh, absolutely necessary partner in making sure that that collaboration occurs and that I, the generalization of that skill occurs. I think that for many years that parents were not as involved because they may have felt on their end that they needed to be special education experts and the actual special education experts in the school settings may have felt that the parents didn't have enough skill, didn't have enough ability to add to the program. But what you've just said uh, goes on the back of what I was talking about earlier that we created our behavioral intervention program for Amy to help her in home but then later moved her program out into the community so she could use those skills and again generalize as you've been saying those skills into other areas often parents are are uh, uh, entering into special ed a little bit later in their kid's life, six, seven, eight, nine. It could be, you know, in their middle school or high school years. But there are parents that enter into the special ed world right when their kiddo is born. And is is there a different uh, program than the IEP for the young individual, for this, the, the kids from, because in, what was it, 2004, or it went, or excuse me, 1997, it went to birth to 22. So what about the birth to three? What are those plans called? So I know that your program has a national reach, so I want to <clears throat> take care that I'm providing information that would be useful for you know people all across the country. Yeah. Uh, in California, where, where I practice, we have a, a system called the regional centers, and they operate under um, a California-specific statute. But for zero to three, they access a, a section of the law called Part C. Uh, Part C is, is derivative of the same statute that offers a free appropriate public education after the age of three for school-age kids. And um, that, that section is called Part B. So the, the, same, the same statute covers uh, birth, all the way up, but zero to three children are covered under what's called Part C of the Act. And these and, acts uh, are for kids in schools with disabilities versus the Americans with Disabilities Act is for more adults out in the community, correct? Well, ADA applies to school-aged children as well, but the statute that I'm referencing is called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or sometimes also called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Improvement Act. Um, or IDEA. The, yeah, the IDEA. That's that's how it's most frequently frequently referred to in, in the the acronym. The, yeah, it's uh, my understanding la- that our education secretary is just beginning to study that. Well, <laughs> now that's political. <laughs> and we hope challenge. that she'll have a good study and understand the information yeah. very well to help our student population. It was alarming uh, for uh, members of the parent community to. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to discover that the, um, uh, the, the incoming secretary uh, was developing knowledge of special education. Um, it is a concern, I, and what our hope is, 
is that she's a good problem solver. And if she's a good problem solver, she can then talk about generalization, generalize those skills towards uh, uh, running the uh, federal program well. That, that's the hope. That is the hope. Now, one of the things that I was wondering about, you talked about Part C. In Part C, is there, for the younger kids, there's a different program called the Individual Family Education Program? Well, I, I think I think what, what you're actually the, yeah we call it um, uh, here here in um, uh, California I believe it's called an IFSP mm-hmm. and that's for zero to three programming the um, individual family support program I believe is what it stands that, for but that's what I was the, trying to say thank you yeah the um, the zero to three emphasis is really different than three and beyond because. Um, uh, the, the standards that apply to you know early intervention zero to three are really intended to help identify children who who need intensive or sort of parent directed services to try to help them overcome their difficulties prior to transitioning to school age. And many parents may not know, but special education rights and and access exist at age three uh, for children who have an eligibility category. Um, so. You know, most people, I think, are accustomed to the notion of school starting with kindergarten and with preschool being elective. But but in special education, preschool is very much part of the springboard towards a successful outcome. And and, um, parents uh, who suspect that their children have have, uh, learning difficulties or difficulty accessing, you know, educational subject matter, et cetera, should should move for um, early referral. Um, I think it's correct that that a lot of parents do enter the process a little bit later, and I think that that's probably a byproduct of just not enough information out there. Um, right. We can probably do some great things, I think, if, if we have uh, have our kids getting into the systems early and, and getting uh, you know high quality intervention early while the child's brain is developing, and, and when we can you know hope for the best outcomes. That being said, all- you know we see development all throughout the lifespan, so high quality programs are really needed always. One of the things that you brought up was that the the parent who, typical parent may be getting their kid into preschool, bringing cookies, helping at the table during the day, helping the, the preschool teacher and kind of going with the flow versus the parent of a child of special needs may need to learn therapies, medical terms, occupational therapy terms and skills, things that are beyond just the natural, innate. First of all, it's hard enough to be a parent. But what's very difficult is when you're given all of these things that you have to do, these interventions that you have to do. Uh, A parent by the name of Jean Costello once told me, as a parent of a child with special needs, I believe it's critical for us to constantly educate ourselves on the needs of our children and how we can best help them to achieve their potential. But I need to achieve my potential too. And what's Mm. really hard is that the parent wants to be of help, but is given so much responsibility so early on that they become very overwhelmed. And this is where we see a lot of anxiousness, a lot of anger that comes out because they don't feel like they know exactly what to do, and, and you've, you've been through this yourself. You're not only a, a great special education attorney, but you happen to be the father of a child with a disability also. 
and and you happen to be a father of a child with a who's a typically developing kid. So you've seen the differences, and it's so hard to you you want parents to be involved, you want family involvement, but you don't want to overwhelm them. You don't want them to feel that they can't be parents anymore. My main goal in total programs in really like the first month of any kind of service that we provide is just to come into the home and be a part of the family and let mom and dad maybe step back a little bit for a while and not worry about all the behavioral issues and all the medical issues and all the different uh, um, treatments that they might have to put into place and allow us to do some of that so that they can regain that love and joy for their kid. And it's so difficult for me to know when sometimes to say, okay, it's time to do that next step. We really need to now give you the power as a parent to do this. But my first thing is to make sure that you as a parent feel like a mom and a dad and not like a therapist. And I don't know what you think about that. Well, I... I, I think, um, well, every, every family is different, right? So you've got um, families that are approaching this process from, from um, essentially front-loaded with certain cultural uh, expectations. Um, we, you know, sometimes you have extended mm-hmm. family, you know, working together to help, you know, raise the child uh, because of, of, of the range of needs that the child might have. And so I, I think when a, when a therapist is coming into a family home, I, I think it would be advisable to, ask the family, uh, what role, you know, can we play? You know, how can we support you? What are the opportune times for us to fade back and, and, and allow you to, you know, be, begin to demonstrate some of this acquired knowledge? Uh, yeah, because I, is, yeah. I, I so it's, want parents to be able to have that loving experience with their child and not feel like they're constantly on. Okay, so... Yeah, Wonderful sure. conversation, and what, what happens is, is that we always run out of time. So, okay, folks, sure. we'll be right back. Joining us after Thanks the so. break will be Mark's wife and life partner, Eva Woodsmall, to discuss her life a bit as a parent of a child living with a disability. So we'll be back in a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. We all have challenges each and every day. How do you relax and live in a calm state? On Chaos to Calm, we introduce you to the concept of Wrenchway, a path to feeling calmer and happier. Listen Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, you know, we are going to be starting our call-ins next week. Um, I do, uh, uh, I would really appreciate uh, people calling in and asking questions, and, and let's try and have the same kind of collaborative conversation that Mark and I have been having. It's been a really, really nice conversation, and there's so much more for us to gain from this man's extreme knowledge base um, that I'd love to have him on the sh- you on the show again, Mark. We um, have Mark's wife, Eva, joining us. Good morning, Eva. I'm, I'm quite well, and I hope that you are too. We've been discussing kind of the introduction of special education to special education parents, and um, you guys are lucky. You have both. You have a typically developing kiddo, and you have a kiddo that has developmental challenges also. But before we get to that, you know, what we were talking about is this idea that we supports need to be put into place, education, interventions, trainings, treatment need to be put into place, but sometimes it can be very, very overwhelming as a parent. And our goal is to try and and ease in programming so that the parent can actually glean the information and use it. But before we get even to that, I want to know how did you guys meet and did it, you and Mark, and how did it, uh, did it influence your careers at all? We met at St. Paul's and met in college. Actually, prior to having, you know, our son, we actually, um, Mark was pursuing the field of law and I was pursuing child psychology. And so, um, you know, ironically, when we first sort of had our endeavor into, you know, special education or a child with special needs, um, we felt like we really had um, some ability and some strengths going into it. Um, and, and with Absolutely. those strengths, we actually realized how, how much need there was to help others and to, to help in this process because it was such a, a difficult process, really, for parents in terms of just accessing education or accessing programs or uh, in any just way. And, and sometimes just mom to mom, to be honest with you. So, um, mm-hmm. so it definitely had a, you know, it, it definitely sort of springboarded us into this future of knowing that we really needed to be involved in the community and helping others around us. Isn't it funny how you can be on this pathway in life and this little detour comes along and all of a sudden the detour becomes the path and you were afraid of the detour, but it actually becomes a really kind of exciting, the energy, the affinity part of your life. Yeah. You were studying child psychology. What was your, what was your idea? What were you going to do? 
to go into um, to be a child life specialist over at Children's Hospital, actually to help children who are chronically ill or who had who were in surgical issues um, to be the liaison between the doctor and the parents and to sort of explain um, how that transition, you know, what what was happening, how how do things work, and just making that process easier for parents. Wow. Um, because I think it's a really significant struggle when you're in a when you're in a hospital situation. Sometimes parents feel very anxious, and so making that and alleviating that. Um, experience for parents um, was really my goal in college um, at Pepperdine. So, you know, we just, uh, you know, from it's interesting because from that point, we, you know, really did spring forward and, and plan on helping in, in this field of, of special education and with special needs children. And so, um, you know, I do want to reflect back real quick, Sean, on what you had mm-hmm. said about coming into the household and how you talked about, you know, your program and how you make an effort to sort of take things off of the parent for that first initial period. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, tell me what you, know, you think I, about that. I just, I really think it's, it's, it's great. And because I think it's something that is so crucially needed, I think for parents to sort of know that a team really sort of has things under control with, with their child or children, while they can take some time to just um, work on being a parent. Um, I don't yeah. know that we that we sometimes know how important that is or see how much effort that takes just to be a good parent, to be a good spouse, to be a good, you know, to be a good friend to others. I mean, sometimes we don't ask for that of ourselves. We don't we don't give ourselves the time to do that. And by having you focus on that, it really does just mean a lot to us. And so, one of the things that, that we focus sense. on too when we come in is that we really don't know anything. That we're not right. we're coming in to work alongside of you as a parent, figure things out as we go along. Yes, we have some technologies, applied behavior analysis, psychology that we use, but for the most part, you know your child. We want to be there to assist you in doing what your goals are for your kid, not say, not be the, 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 the all-knowing expert, being the one who, because the, that tells you what to do. Because for one, okay, if you're a parent of a, of a, of a little, little guy, three-year-old, three four-year-old, yeah, you're kind of, you know, you don't, it's all new to you. But if you've been doing this for 15 years, 20 years, and you have somebody come into your house because you're just darn worn out and you need help supporting your kids so that they have a good life, and you are told by this person that you're doing all these things wrong, well, how is that going to make you feel? That's going to make you right. feel... How is that going to make you feel? I mean, it's going, to, it's going to feel terrible. I think working alongside of the parent versus working instead of the parent is really key. Yeah, um, you know, you know your kid. Yeah, yeah. You, we know our children, and we want to be a collabor- collaborator in the ideas of therapy and in the ideas of just behavior and how, how can we best achieve that. The idea is to take the expertise of your therapist and yourself and collaborate with the parent's knowledge of their child. And really, I think that's the best outcome. Yeah, there are times where we come into situations and we get one or the other. We get one side that says, I know what I'm doing. I just need you to follow what I say and and I just need you as a helper. That's one side. The other side is, I don't know what I'm doing. You need to come in here and fix this. And in either case, it's not a good start because we believe that collaboration is, is key and without taking in your expertise of your child, we will never accomplish what we're trying to, which is that purposeful life. You know, Mark talked about generalizing the IEP goals and objectives out into the real world. 
And Mm -hmm. that won't happen if we're not able to truly know what works well for a family, what isn't working well, and what they have as a life goal for their kid. Tell, tell, Tell me a little bit about your family. So we have two children. We have a 16-year-old um, who is diagnosed with severe autism, um, and then we have a 11-year-old who is typically developing. So a, a young man and a, and a young lady. Um, yes, and, a nice um, balance. What does that mean fantastic. when we say se- when we say severe autism versus just autism? I mean, wh- what does that mean, Eva? Um, you know, that means that he al- almost daily goes through major aggressive episodes. He has, um, he cannot communicate um, conversantly with us. Um, He has minimal language. Most of it is, um, you know, verbal, like grunts and things of that nature. Um, You know, it's trying to express himself, but can't. Right. Trying to express himself, but can't. And that, that, you know, obviously is going to be very difficult for a person. So he, so that results in some behaviors, I think. And then, you know what um, I always, you know what I always talk about is like, okay, say you've had a really bad day at work. And then you come home and your spouse says, so how was your day? And you go, oh, it was fine. Because you don't want to go over all the things that are bugging you. But right. when we have a kiddo who's having challenges, we expect them not only to have their challenges and deal with it, but deal also with all those feelings inside without uh, – uh, um, uh, and, and that's where when somebody asks me to repeat my bad day, I'm going to get kind of agitated and angry and this is the same thing we see with our kiddos we're asking them to do things that are so hard for them and so the aggressiveness and the behavioral challenges come from the communication problems and if we could build up those communication skills which I know you've been working for years to do mm-hmm. uh, maybe some of those behavioral issues that angst that anxiety inside the kiddo dissipates how do you, uh, you know, Dr. John yeah please join us with, with, with Andrew he's uh, you know, that's our son. Uh, he, uh, he, he's such a gentle boy too. I mean, if, when you meet him and, and when, when he's regulated and when he's in a place where, um, you know, he's not, he's not demonstrating significant impacts because of, you know, the, the autism spectrum components, you can see he just, he just wants to have a normal experience. I mean, there are times when, you know, he, he, he cries. There are times when you know he you know, he shows that he just he just want he just wants things to be better. And, you know what? It was so, so cool that what you just said, Mark. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it was so cool. You said when he's regulated, he's such a sweet boy, and that idea is the most important part of the work that all of us do to see the real kid the real person that's in there, not just the behavior or the no language or the severity, but the real sweet boy who's got feelings and love inside of his heart. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just, when you said that, it was just sparked this whole concept for me of this is why we're doing what we're doing so that kids can achieve to their potential and beyond their potential because we don't know what their potential might be. And there's so much more than the disability that affects them. You know, they, they are, you know, they're wonderful, very exciting people. They have so much to contribute. And, and I think what ends up happening is uh, programs are designed around um, assisting them. They focus on what they can do, but more needs to be done to focus on, you know, 
what they can do and do well and, and capitalize I, on their strength. And last week with, we talked about functional yeah. analyses real quickly. And I talked about not only looking at the function of the behavioral problem, but why don't we look at what works and what goes right and make the assessments around that? You know, one of the changes, which you will know, in, in IDEA in 2004 was the idea that no longer in an assessment did we have to just requalify a kid. In an assessment, now we could look at what is the goal for the next year and what can we put into place to accomplish that goal? What evaluative tool can we put into place to see how the kiddo is doing? For you guys, what is the most, we only have a couple more minutes, but what's the thing on your mind the most about your kiddos? Eva, I'll start with you. What's the, what's the most on your mind? What do you think are maybe some essential tools for survival? Um, I think being willing to ask for help as a parent when you need yeah. help, um, whether that's from agencies or groups or really kind of identifying what are the, you know, what, what am I feeling? How am I feeling? And do I need help with you know, behavior, do I need help with respite? Do I need help with just, I just need a babysitter, I need a break. But not being afraid to ask for help. And then to really right. listen to your instincts um, just as you normally would. Just to listen because to your instincts. If you feel like there's, you know, something either good or bad about a specific therapist or about a program or about a, you know, really pursuing um, your feelings. Um, and, and, of course, always having presumed intelligence and, and patience and um, in the process, you know, I think that those, those are key, um, you know, and as a parent, I think we're always thinking about the future stability and supports that are needed to put into place for our kids. And I, I know that that's, um, on the minds of a lot of parents. And so really yeah. to start to plan, um, if you mm-hmm. feel, you know, I listened to what you said at the opposite of worrying is planning. And I thought that was brilliant. Um, because one of the things I know that well, Mark and I are constantly thinking, yeah, well, it's, it's true, but one of the things that we're thinking about is Andrew's future and Sophia's future and it really concerns us. You know, we know Sophia will probably be okay and she'll, you know, have a job and she'll be all right and um, have relationships. But with Andrew, we have really significant concerns. And so what we're doing now, um, and he's 16, is starting to really plan for his future. And so um, rather than worrying, we're trying to take that perspective of planning and that has actually really alleviated some of our worries because it, it is, I think, frightening for a lot of parents. Um, One of the things that we didn't get to talk a lot about today, and if you guys would be willing, I'd love to have you both on the show again to discuss things further, but that you've actually started a vineyard in the Temecula area, and that is for individuals to work at with developmental disabilities and something for your son in the future. Yes. And I think that's just a wonderful thing, you know, and the fact Mm -hmm. that you said, Eva, that don't be afraid to ask for help. Well, that's the whole thing is that we don't want our survival to feel like shame. You guys, our show's coming to an end, and I so want to thank you for being on. Next week, we'll be talking with Augie Jimenez and Lindsay Grizzle about our behavioral intervention programs and our emphasis in supporting families. Remember that on Strategies and Solutions, taking on the challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be filled with the new future you dream of having in your life. Thank you all very much. And Mark and Eva, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Dr. Sean. Thank you, Dr. Sean. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. 
Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.